Hey guys, welcome to Calvary HSM. We are a place where we want to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, well, well. Great to be with you all this evening. How is everybody? You guys doing good? Woo! Hey, I love you guys. I love you guys. We all love you guys, in fact. Um, so if you've been around HSM for um, uh, a while, then maybe you've been to one of these nights before. But if this is newer to you and you're like, why are there so many people on stage? Uh, let me explain what tonight is going to be. Um, spoiler alert, it's on the screen already. Uh, we're doing a Q&A night. And here's, um, here's why we do it. Here's the heart behind that. Um, for us is I think oftentimes um, not intentionally the memo we can get from church experiences is like questions are a threat to your faith so you should not have them and if you do have them you should certainly not tell anybody that you have them Uh, and that couldn't be further from the truth Um, we love your questions we treasure your questions and in fact like we believe that asking your questions is a road to deeper relationship with God to deeper faith and so uh, we always just want to build a culture where questions are welcome uh, where we invite them. And so every year at camp, uh, we literally take a morning of camp um, <clears throat> and just give you guys time with paper and pens to just write down any questions that are on your heart, on your mind, questions about um, uh, about how to just like live life, how to navigate relationships, questions about God, about the Bible, all of that. And we treasure those questions. We use those questions to determine our teaching calendar for the year, um, to uh, determine things that maybe would be great to go over in small groups. And then periodically, we do uh, these nights right here, Q&A questions, where we just take some of the questions that you guys wrote to us, um, and we start working through them because we treasure them. And so uh, we always love doing this. Uh, we've definitely heard loud and clear the feedback from you guys that you guys love doing these. Um, And so we hope that tonight is a blessing for you. So uh, what we'll do before we kick off is we'll each go down the row and introduce ourselves um, and we'll give our take on uh, when is appropriate for Christmas decorations to begin. Uh, And then I'll ask uh, the man at the end to close us or open us in prayer, really. And we'll uh, jump into it. Sound good? (laughs) To close us. The end. No questions. All right, you chatty Cathy's. Great job, everybody. I know there's a there's a good energy in the room tonight. (laughs) So direct it towards these questions because you guys brought some great questions. Uh, So all that to say, if I haven't met you or we don't know each other very well, my name is Drew Walton. I'm the associate high school pastor here at HSM. Yay! That's how I feel getting out of bed every morning. Like it's pretty wild that I get to do this with my life Um, and just like invest in you guys and get to know you guys and and cheer you on as you live life. Um, For the Christmas question, um, I got to be real. I got to get this off my chest and confess. I used to be a purist. I used to be nothing until after Thanksgiving, um, and I've definitely softened on my position. I'm still no decorations until after Thanksgiving, but like if a movie makes its way into the mix or the tunes get on the on the radio, like I'm not I'm not uh, launching warfare against that. I'm just saying, like if if the peppermint makes its way into my ice cream, it's not the end of the world, right? <laughs> Anywho, that's my stance. Who are you and what are your feelings on Christmas? Yeah, uh, well, I love Christmas. My name is still J.D. Lasky. Love you too. I'm uh, the Calvary HSM chaplain, uh, the head of uh, chaplaincy here at Calvary HSM and looking for an assistant still. Just kidding. Um, I, for Christmas, similar, I'd say I'm more, I defer to my wife now because she's really good at all that stuff and like makes the house feel like Christmas. So whenever she decides, I'm content. Sweet Paulina. She's watching right now. Love you. Hi, Paulina. Paulina. Hi, Paulina. That's my small group co-leader. Oh. Woo! Uh, <laughs> okay. 
Uh, my name is Ryan Henderson. I'm <laughs> Love you too. Um, I'm, I'm not going to repeat that comment. Um, I'm the year-long intern for HSM. My focus is on worship, uh, but I do some other things as well. And I think that I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, I used to be no Christmas spirit until Thanksgiving is behind me. But I think the tunes sneak onto the playlist like around the beginning of November. So, But exterior decorations, that's a hard cut. December 1st, exterior. Because you don't want the judgment, you know, when people drive by your house and you're two months early. It's so. all about what other people That's think. exactly right. Just yeah. hide it in your heart. <laughs> don't share it with too many people. Hi. Um, I'm Sophia. I am the associate director of HSM, which is the best job in the whole wide world. Um, and I, I said it before, and I'll say it again, that I go with Disneyland, and they switch October 31st, or from Halloween to November first. I just... Fully mess that up. And November from the 1st, top, go. Yeah. <laughs> they switch at midnight on November 1st, so the Hartman household, and by that I mean me, switches over November 1st, and uh, I stand by that. Thank you, Walt, Disney. Hello, everybody. My name's Aaron Kajumba. I'm the high school pastor. Yes, Aaron. Uh, I believe Christmas spirit is for every day of the year. However, the expression of Christmas externally should happen on November 1st. The reason why, the reason why is because Thanksgiving is only an American holiday. So everyone else is already in the Christmas spirit in Europe and in places in Uganda. So there you go. <laughs> Great places. Um, Aaron, would you do us uh, the honor of praying for us and then we'll kick off this Q&A. Yes, Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for the brothers and sisters, the saints and the ain'ts in this room who are trying to figure out their walk with you, Lord. We ask that as we spend time talking biblically about these questions, that you allow their hearts to be inclined to your word, to hear your truth, um, and ultimately that their lives will be changed by the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, so first question, I'm just going to pitch the question, and whoever wants to grab it to weigh in um, may do so. Um, here's the first question. I think it's such a thoughtful one. This person, they're all anonymous questions, by the way, so if you ask this, no one's going to know it was you. Um, but the first person asked, how do I stay joyful through hard things? So joy is important for the life of a believer, right? In fact, the scriptures tell us that the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? Like it's, it's the source of our strength. And so when difficulty hits, when hardship comes, how do we stay joyful? Or what should our relationship with joy be? What would you guys say to that? JD. Um, I'm gonna go real, I'll, I'll be quick. I'll be quick. Not too fast. <laughs> uh, Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have uh, obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces uh, character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been <coughs> poured into the hearts through it, through the Holy Spirit, uh, who has been given uh, to us. And the idea that being in that suffering, and there's more verses that speak to, but that's one I've used a lot in situations where students or family or even in my own life in crisis, um, that's something I turn to realizing that all, all those things allow us to grow. So our, our, our choice in that moment is to, to walk and go either I'm going to walk with the Lord hand in hand in this and understand this is something that's going to help me grow in my character and my faith, ultimately my hope. 
that God does not fail, he does not leave us. And those situations are difficult. And he knows that full well. Uh, he gave up his son for us and watched his son die a cruel death on the cross. God is very aware of our pain. He feels our pain. He senses our pain and is with us in those moments. Uh, we, so again, we don't go through that alone. Uh, and we ultimately experience hope through those seasons of life, which are difficult. And uh, you'll use those things later in life or maybe even the season now. Maybe you've been through something. A friend's going through a similar circumstance. And maybe you've been in that. We say, hey, like, I, I know where you're at right now. I've, I've been in that same space that you're in. And I just want to encourage you. It's going to be okay. And sitting with high school students, specifically with you guys, getting coffee at Ragamuffin, uh, if you've been there and spent time with at any point, but getting uh, a moment to be encouraged and say, hey, like, I know you're in this hard season right now. It's going to be okay. And maybe you haven't been in the exact same situation, but what you're going through, God promises hope will come from that. So, Psalm 1611. By the way, if you see, I don't know if you said this already, but if you see us on our phones, we're just looking up scriptures. We're not just chatting I've not grown bored of you. No. Um, but Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so just focusing on that, in your presence is fullness of joy. Um, when hard things come, it's not an if, it's a when. When hard things come, finding yourself in the presence of God, however you get yourself there, whether that's in worship, whether that's the word, uh, prayer, if that's a walk, if that's riding your bike, if that's going to the beach, like it doesn't necessarily have to be this like amazing location. Like it could be like your living room. It could be, you know, outside, uh, on a park bench, I don't, wherever you find yourself in the presence of God, just like you and Jesus locking eyes, that's where joy comes, and it's not this fleeting happiness. It's a, a joy that sustains, that says whenever something is coming my way and I'm being actively sought after, evil things are actively pursuing me or darkness is trying to take away my joy, just know that in the presence of God, it says God is light and in him is no darkness. And so He being with him means you're in the presence of light, that there is no darkness that can overcome you or overtake you no matter what tries to come your way. And I know that sounds very Christian-y of an answer, but make it practical. Find where you experience God the most and make that a place that's not like, when I'm in Tahiti, laying on one of those little canopy things over the ocean, that's when I experience God the most. Because hello, that's where we all experience God the best. I mean, come on, you're in Tahiti. But make it like a local a local thing to your life. It could be your kitchen table. It could be it could be on your knees. Like you could be in an airport, but it's on your knees and it's like, okay, Lord, like this is you and me time right now. It could be five minutes, it could be two hours, but this is where in your presence, Jesus is fullness of joy. And so if I'm in your presence, there is my joy, there is my everlasting peace in trials. Mars, this is awesome. Uh, I heard this acronym growing up called JOY, J-O-Y. And so it's Jesus, others, yourself. And so as it's been stated throughout this, the, the answer of this question, joy is found in Jesus. And you, normally we flip that. When we focus on ourselves first or we focus on, on, on others first, we have comparison. We have all these different things and the way it's down. That's why we become anxious or we have depression because you're focused on yourself and I'll focus on the one who gives you identity, who gives you a joy, who secures you. And so if you have that out of order, if it's Y-O-J or whatever, then you have a lack of identity, a lack of joy, a lack of peace. And so Jesus others yourself. Uh, the psalmist will say, uh, even when he'd fallen into his own sin, he says, Lord, restore unto me the joy of, of your salvation. 
And so salvation coming from God, joy coming from God, wholeness coming from God allows us to have others and then yourself. It was said the last time we had our Q&A by um, Zach Ziegler, he said you're to fix your eyes on Jesus, to refocus your heart on Jesus. And he's the one who's the author and finisher of your faith, but also he's the orchestrator of all things originating in joy. So well said. Um, okay, so moving into our next question. Um, some of these questions um, include the word sin, right? Like, is this a sin? Is this not a sin? So if I could just make a qualifying statement about sin when we talk about it. Um, for people in the room who are just like investigating Jesus, investigating faith for themselves, maybe like sin is a word that you've heard and it's always had a really negative connotation and it's like God condemns me and hates me. Like when we talk about sin, um, we're talking about things um, that um, ultimately God says no to in our lives because they hurt ourselves or hurt the people around us and they break the heart of the Father because he doesn't want to see us um, in brokenness. Um, now, what sin does not do is separate us or disqualify us disqualify us from the love of God, right? Like we took all of last week to talk about the gospel, the good news, that sin doesn't negate God's love for us. In fact, he put a whole plan of salvation into action so that we could be cleaned of our sin um, and that would not be a barrier. So when we're talking about sin, we're not talking about like, if I do this, will God hate me? The answer is categorically no, God loves you. Um, but things that are sinful behaviors can break um, things down in our life and the life of other people and all of that. So I just want to say that as a qualifying statement. Um, and now we're going to go into a sin that's um, not a, what people would quantify as like an extreme sin like murder. But here's the question. It's a great question. Um, this person asks, are swear words a sin? And where in the Bible does it say that? And so I love the heart of like, show me a verse. Like if I'm going to like make a life decision, I want to see it, like where it comes from in God's word. So um, when it comes to our words, the words that we choose, um, are swear words a sin? Is it really like the power of the word? Is it something deeper than that? Like what are we talking about when we talk about swear words and sin? What would you guys say? I see Ryan's ready. <laughs> I mean, I got the receipts out, dude. I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I say, that's such an errant thing to say. <laughs> Uh, you're rubbing off on me, dude. Anyways, um, so to answer <laughs> short, short answer is yes. Swear words are a sin. Um, and I'm going to pull out some scripture, but I just want to like say this. This is probably going to address like 50% of the room. Um, but if you don't want to listen to these scriptures, if your parents tell you not to, to cuss, it's a sin because there's also plenty of scriptures that talk about how it's lawful to obey our parents. So that probably knocked out like half the room. And then the other people who are, have been raised in families that cussing and swearing is a, a completely normal thing. Uh, these are some scriptures for you. So I have Ephesians 4.29. It says, um, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may uh, benefit those who listen. And then James 3, 9 through 12, uh, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce uh, fresh water. So um, the reason why some people kind of have trouble with these scriptures is because it's not telling us to avoid the, the F word or avoid the S word or whatever. Um, obviously, when I was growing up, we had kind of a list. I know you spoke on this a little bit this morning, how you had like the cuss word list with your parents. Um, but um, the thing that makes it unlawful is your heart. There's nothing wholesome about 
um, a swearing. And as Christ followers, it's absolutely something that we should steer clear of. Um, it's not going to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's only going to tear down. Um, and it, it is straight up a sin um, as stated in, in the word. So, Just echo really quickly what he's saying to you. I, I think in that, you, your testament or your testimony of your faith to other people is what you say and how you speak. And a, a former high school pastor here, Drew Sams, used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but uh, names will never hurt me. So that's a total lie. So what you say about people, what you say to people, how you communicate matters. So if you say something completely different, if you're here Sunday night or if you're at FCA campus ministry on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, wherever you're at in school, um, or you're part of any kind of Christian group and then you're at a party Friday night cussing up a storm, it's like that's a contradiction. And people, people see that and people recognize that and go, there's nothing different about you than, than me. So don't preach to me. Don't talk to me. You lose the opportunity to witness with people with, with what you say. Uh, so it should be things that only encourage other people. And that might be really hard, uh, but a lot of times we're reactive and go, well, that's my, you know, we use the excuse, well, that's how my dad's always been, or that's how my mom always says, says, says stuff. My older brother always did that, so that's what I do. And that can be an excuse for a while, but at some point you take accountability for your words and your actions. And when God says in word and in deed, so the things that you say and the things that you do matter, and people watch those things. As much as you watch maybe the leaders here on the stage or Drew or Aaron preaching or Sophia or Ryan, et cetera, it's like your friends are watching you. The people around you are watching you. People at school who don't, who don't even know you go, I've seen them walk into this Christian club and they come on to the quad and they start cussing up a storm. It's like, I don't see the difference. I don't see why Christianity matters. That's why. That's another really important reason. So I just encourage you with that as well. Yeah. Um, Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of your tongue. And it's a convicting scripture because it shows you that you are actually in full control of what comes out of your mouth and you are in full control of death coming out of your mouth or life coming out of your mouth. I know God is sovereign, but you are in control of your tongue. And so it's easy sometimes to be like, he made me say it. He didn't make you say it. You're in control of that thing. Um, and so what I was saying this morning about the, the swear word list was that my mother would have killed me if I ever said one cuss word growing up. And I don't know, did anyone have a mom like that? A mama that's like, yeah, Gavin's like, me. Um, but, you know, you just, I knew, and she would always say, she'd be like, if you swear, the Holy Spirit will tell me and I'll find out. And I was like, so um, I can't get away with anything because, yes, I can say it without my mama there, but God is everywhere, so <laughs> I can't avoid this. Um, and so I just withheld saying swear words, but I was very, because I wasn't allowed to swear, I let foul words proceed out of my mouth that had nothing to do with cussing. I just used my words creatively to still tear people down and to still, still speak death. So it's the intention of your heart behind those words. I'm not saying go out and say the F word a bunch of time and be like, but the intention of my heart was fine. That's not what I'm saying because nobody can tell the intention of your heart based off of a word or based off of a text. But just know, like I used this example earlier, like flipping somebody off, the middle finger means nothing in like European countries or in other countries. But here it's like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't dare. But there you do a thumbs up and it's like, cut her head off. You know, like all these, there's different things and people are going to interpret things different ways. So it's the intention of your heart that death and life are in the power of your tongue. You got to be really careful what kind of death you are speaking because then you look at the fruit of your life and you're like, why the heck is this thing going so sour, going so bad? Maybe I should blame the devil. It's like, no, blame that little piece of tissue that's in between your teeth that's ruining your life because you're speaking death. Well said. 
Um, okay, <clears throat> this next question is a fun one and also a doozy, um, so buckle up. Um, this person asks a really great question. They say, what's the relationship between the end times and modern day society. So one of the amazing things about um, the gift that God's given us in his word is it's a text that speaks to the past, to the present, and to the future, right? And the Bible is very clear that, that there is an end to the world, that there is an end to the world as we know it, um, and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so um, it's a topic that's um, easy to ignore because it's scary and uncomfy, and it's a topic that's easy to become obsessed with because it's scary and uncomfy. Um, and categorically, I think we can all acknowledge it's a crazy time in the history of the world. The last few years have been wild. Um, and there are definitely people who would fear monger that it is definitely the end of the world. Um, and there will be, be people who are like, absolutely no shot. We're not even close. The Bible's very clear, um, that nobody knows exactly when it will be. And at the same time, the Bible's also clear that there will be events that transpire. So all of that is just like an overarching statement. Um, when we hear people talking online about the end of the world, when we dip into prophetic literature of the Bible about the end of the world, all of that. How should we organize our thoughts about it? How should we look at world events transpiring around us? Uh, what would you guys say to that? Um, it, I heard this, somebody say this one time. They were like, even Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour that he's being sent back because if God told Jesus, Jesus would tell us because he's just a chatty Kathy and <laughs> wants to share everything with us. And I thought that was so funny just to the character and nature of the friendship we have in God that if, if the father told Jesus when he was coming back, Jesus would be like, hey guys, guess what? It's tomorrow. <laughs> like so excited. Um, anyways, I just thought that was funny. And the Holy Spirit would do the same thing because both of them just are talking, talking, talking. But um, in Joel, the book of Joel, Joel, does anyone know where the book of Joel is? Old Testament or New Testament? Give me a guess. Good job, kids. Uh, Old Testament, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says, And it shall come to pass, and this is talking about the last days, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, in the last days. And so I'm not going to go into the world angle like doom, gloom, fire, and brimstone because, honestly, we have no idea. Are we five days away from Jesus returning? Are we 150 years? Is it in the year 3000 with the Jonas Brothers? Like, I don't know, and I don't think any of us know, and we shouldn't know because if we claim to know, we're actually full-on lying because do Jesus doesn't even know. But what I do know is that in the last days, it says that young men will see visions and that old men will dream dreams and that God wants to pour out his spirit on all flesh. There's a scripture that says a thousand years is as a day to the Lord and a day as a thousand years. So the timing and the, the, the closeness of Jesus's return, we yearn for it as Christians because we know that seeing him come through the clouds and come back for us will be the best day ever. And I'm not married yet. And so I've been like, Lord, I just want to get married and have kids. Then you can come back. Like, I think every girl in the room has probably said something similar to that. Um, where we're like, just put a ring on it. Then you're totally fine. Just come flying in. And um, that's not an attitude to take either. That we as Christians, we yearn for the day where our groom, because we're the bride of Christ, the groom comes back. But just know that you can trust that if you 
are experiencing the power of God, it is because he is pouring out his spirit on all flesh, that you can see things. That it, the, it says that in the Bible that the Holy Spirit shows us things to come, that you can see visions, you can dream dreams, you can let the Lord just pour out his spirit over you, his love, the way he draws you more into himself. Um, and so how do we reconcile that to modern days? I wish we had like a clear-cut answer to be like, it's it's now or it's then or whatever, but let's live every day like it's the last of maybe this person, if I don't tell this person about Jesus and he comes back, they're not coming with me to heaven. Like that is a very real reality that we get to live with and it's a burden that Christians live with of I'm just gonna live like he's coming back tomorrow because if I live that way, I'll never not be in his presence. I'll never not evangelize to that person. I'll never not extend that hand where I could have thinking, oh, we've got 25 more years. Like who knows? We don't know, but I just know that he wants to pour out his spirit over us, show you things to come, show you a beautiful future for yourself, show you what your family looks like in the future, show you what college to go to, that he wants to pour out his loving and kind spirit all over you. That's a blessing. Um, when I think about the question, talking about old the, uh, the Old Testament and uh, our modern times in relation to the end times, um, one, well, one thing comes to mind. One, the fact that for a believer, look up, eyes here, if you've trusted Jesus, your Lord and Savior, then this is a glorious time for you. This is a blessing, which means you're going home. Like all these things you're worried about will be gone, blown away. The Bible says the world will burn up in fire. So I'm sorry for those who are tree huggers. I'm sorry. It'll be gone. It'll be burnt, Right? But this is what I'm trying to say. For you who trust Jesus, this time is a glorious time. It's a great time. It's a beautiful time. And so it's not something you should look forward in fear, but to look forward in uh, excitement, to have a, a joy for it, to be passionately patient for. Now, the Bible tells us that the end times will look like the days of Noah. Uh, the book of well, Genesis, the, the story of Noah talks about how people were living in those days. And Jesus quotes that in the book of Matthew. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, Matthew 2, 24, uh, he says, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. From the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered to the ark. Meaning it was like normal life. People were doing the normal things they were doing. Gas probably was high. Well, there was no gas. What well, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, stuff was, stuff was, I was there. Uh, things keep moving like, like normal, right? But it also tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, that the last days will be like this. People will be lovers of themselves. Okay, so think about today. Are people lovers of themselves? Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Whoa, that's in the Bible. That's great. And you guys? Okay, here we go. Um, ungrateful. Looking at you, bro. Okay. Uh, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now, the, the warning there is that people are going to be, be more and more worse in their uh, excitement towards sin. Meaning, like in Isaiah, it says, they will call evil good and good evil. Is that happening today? Okay. So, at the end times, if you're asking strategically, end times began when Jesus left. So, we've been in the end times, okay? This is where we are right now. 
But the question is, how then do we wait for that? The difference between the two is pretty much similar. The question, again, is how do we live through this time? I think this, that question has been answered. But Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 tells us, be very careful then how you live, not, the unwi- not, the, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. I think Sophia mentioned that. Because the days are evil. And so the difference between the two is, guys, the world's going to get crazier and crazier. It will be just like the days of Noah, right? People doing the normal, normal day-to-day thing, but sin and the love of sin will be increasing. And if you see that happening in your neighborhood, in your community, then you should be a person who says, okay, how do I not misuse this time? How can I be wise? One, in my dedication to Jesus, not out of fear, because you love him, right? Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear, because fear has to do with judgment, Right? And so in a sense now, I'm doing this because I love God. And then, then how can I invite other people? Because saved people, serve people and found people, find people. Thank you. So this is how you live as a believer in the last days. You delight in God's word. You make sure it's all about Jesus. And you make sure that as you live your life for, for the Lord, you invite people into that same way of life. Real quick on that too. Just always double check with scripture and people you know who can give you wise counsel on that. I think a lot of times people can hear something and go like, oh, well, I heard this one person said this thing or I saw this podcast on. Check with somebody who, who understands God's word, somebody you trust in that process, whether it's Aaron, Drew, Sophia, anybody you know on staff or someone who's in a biblical place of understanding uh, because I think it's really easy to get led astray and go, I heard this one thing, my aunt said this one thing, I saw this thing on whatever, social media, is that true? And we get easily led astray and even says there's going to be false prophets that will come and say things contrary to scripture. Always look to God. Look to God's word. Don't look to what one person says or thinks. Like, this is for sure the day. I can't tell you how many times in the past 10 years people have said, like, on this day the world's going to end. And it's been in the news. It's crazy. And people believe it. That's, it's sad. So That's what that Nicolas Cage movie in 2012 was about. <laughs> Called 2012. They thought, for some reason, the world was supposed to end and Jesus was coming back in 2012. But what happened? It's been 11 years. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Anyways, just don't make movies about end times, okay? They'll sell maybe better. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, moving on to another question. Um, this is a great question, and this is one of those, like, um, from the depths of her heart kind of questions. And so, um, yeah, I just appreciate uh, this young woman asking this. Here's what she says. She says, my boyfriend was addicted to porn, still addicted to masturbation. How am I supposed to feel okay with this? Why do I feel betrayed and hurt by this? And how do I support him through this battle? So there's kind of two things at play. Um, first is just the topic of like sexual sin having a stronghold. And so let me just say, like, if, if you're a young man or a young woman in the room, and like sexual sin has just like got you in a chokehold, um, and you've committed yourself to um, moving towards Jesus and towards freedom, like our hat is off to you because that is a difficult endeavor. It's not we're, we're not here like come on, just figure it out. Like that's a challenging thing, and like our hat is off to you, um, and and we want to support you. Like talk to your small group, talk. To to a leader, talk to someone that you trust um, to help resource you in that. Um, but I'm so glad she asks this question because oftentimes in our thinking, we think like, oh, that's just um, something that like th- is theirs to deal with personally. There's no repercussions outside of it. But her question is, why do I feel hurt and betrayed by this? And like, how can I support someone through growth, through moving towards Jesus and holiness while their sin is m- leaving me feeling betrayed, hurt? Um, unloved, all of that. And so what would, you, what would you guys say to any of what's going on in that question? First of all, as, as a woman, because I'm the only one here, up here today, um, I'm so sorry that that's happening because 
let's talk about porn in particular. T typically, I'm not saying this is every single time, but typically it's women being exploited and sexually um, exposed in a way that is unnatural and uh, not God-honoring whatsoever. And in this, in this case, it's a man that's watching that and then maybe coming into the relationship with an expectation that is so far beyond the natural course of romance and of sexual pleasure that would come between the average husband and wife. Um, and now, being a girlfriend in this scenario, obviously there shouldn't be any sexual intercourse going on between because that would be sin, but just in the in the women experiencing this and knowing that her boyfriend or husband has seen things that she cannot do and w and look at women that look certain ways that just a natural woman can't look like um, that's a pressure that's just not understood and not talked about very often that even you go on Instagram I mean honestly Instagram is like soft porn nowadays if you're on the wrong account and you find and your algorithm pops something up and you're like whoa I didn't want to look at that um, it's yeah, it's crazy though. You look at some of that stuff and then you look at your own body and you're like, oh, look at that great little bit of cellulite on my legs. Cool. Like, and I don't look like that girl and I don't look like this. And I know we all know it's fake and we know it's airbrushed, but it doesn't look that way. Okay. It doesn't feel like that when you're the person that's like, but you should be able to love me for me and I love you for you. But there's this big wall that gets in between us and it's this porn wall. And the reason it gets talked about so much is because it really does have a, a chokehold on anybody who watches it. It is a, it is a shiny fishing lure that has a big old hook attached to it that just catches you and it is so hard to get out of because not only is it entertaining but it it stimulates things in your body that are pleasurable I mean let's just be real I know this is like a family this is a family room conversation it makes your body feel things that feel good it's not like it feels terrible if porn made you feel bad nobody would watch it like there's a reason we all put our hand back in the cookie jar because we know the cookie tastes good like there's a reason why people keep going back to porn and people keep going back to sexual immorality but there's a scripture in First Corinthians 6 um, that says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And so the reason that it hurts not just the watcher, but the person who's maybe holding hands with the watcher is that it is this self-inflicting, self-perpetuating painful sin that it's not this thing of like let me just cut out my eyes so that I don't watch this anymore it's an internal just uh it's it's just a bond that you almost form with this thing and so um but the bible says to flee it you know if this building caught on fire right now would you guys stay inside and sit here right what's the like just gonna stand there and watch me burn yeah that's all right. I'm just kidding. Uh, don't sing that with me. But, um, but that's like, if the building caught on fire, we would flee. I mean, I know we don't use flee in 2023 as like a conversation word, but we would flee. We would run. If we heard a, a firework go off, but we thought it was a gunshot, we're running. Like there's a trail of smoke behind me. You know what I mean? If the wave pulls back too far at the beach, I'm gone. I'm going to flee because that's a tsunami waiting to happen. Like... <laughs> There's just no way that we would keep ourselves in these dangerous situations in the physical. But when it comes to this thing that just can, we cannot separate ourselves from, 
I know it's hard, but it is possible to flee sexual immorality, and it's going to benefit not just you, but everybody around you, because if it's affecting this sweet, precious soul that wrote this in, you don't think your mom and your dad have any clue that that thing's going on. I know you guys think your parents, like, don't care and don't pay attention, but they know more than you think they know, unfortunately, <laughs> maybe for some of you. They know. They know about the secret boyfriend. They know about the things that's going on upstairs. You think you're being all quiet upstairs. No. Sneaking through the window. We get it. Okay? They know what's happening. And so th- it affects so many more people than just yourself. Oh, they know. They do and then know. they tell us that they know, and then they ask us, anyways. <laughs> it's a circle Sometimes. of life. <laughs> circle of life. Anyway, um, I, I want to say this. Uh, for young lady or young man, could, could be either way, right? Uh, falling into that sin or uh, being in the relationship. I want to say, one, if this is you and you have this level of communication, kudos to you to be communicating in your relationship and being honest and open. I think uh, life uh, communication is the lifeblood of any relationship, and having open communication is a big deal. So talking about it is really the first hurdle, because the real thing is it's a matter of shame, right? The shame of you being discovered, you of uh, exposing yourself, uh, quote unquote, right, to say, here I am. This is what I'm struggling with. Like that is a courage- courageous thing to do. So if you're in that space and you are struggling with sin, right, uh, John Owen says, uh, kill sin before sin kills you. It says, actually, it says be killing sin or sin will be killing you, right? And so the fact that you're taking a step in and of itself is you taking a step towards God and helping, you, helping him help you fight this fight of faith. So I would say practical things. One, I would encourage you to talk to, uh, encourage him or encourage her to talk to her parents. Talking to you is great, but you ain't got the facilities to help them, all right? You have no power to help them whatsoever. So encourage them to talk to their parents. It is the most awkward, but also the most freeing thing. Both, 100%. Imagine telling your mom, Mom, I'm struggling with porn. That's wild. That's crazy, <laughs> right? That's crazy. But the thing is this, right? Your parents love you, right? They really love you. They want you to be free. No parent wants their child to be locked up. So whatever you're struggling with, be it alcohol, be it depression, beat anxiety, and these things are not necessarily sin, but you're struggling with these things. Talk to your parents. Talk to a leader. Encourage them to have that conversation so you can have help. If you're the person in your relationship too, set practical boundaries because without those boundaries that you have yourself and your identity, then you're going to let those things down. Like you let those boundaries down and you will keep allowing that person to fail. One, either by not having communication. Two, you might find yourself in that situation and dropping down your own boundaries yourself. The third thing would be basically that. Don't get physical. Straight up, right? I think the last Q&A we had, we talked about how it's like wearing, the, wearing a bathing suit. Like, just don't touch the parts, right? Just, just don't, like, just don't do that, right? Imagine, what are the same, like, how far is too far? Think of the tan lines. That's right. That was it. Give me the quote. Give us, give us a quote. I think it's... Connor Johnson, and he said, use tan lines as your boundaries. As your, right? There you go. Like Pastor that. Connor Johnson, middle school yeah, ministry. Yeah. Use tan lines as your boundaries. But, but truly, truly, if you, don't, if you don't kill sin, sin will be killing you. And so as, as a young person, 
right? If you're in that relationship and your boyfriend, your girlfriend is doing that and they're being open with you, encourage them to have that conversation uh, so they can be set free. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5 uh, that it is for freedom we've been set free and we're to not give ourselves back. Now, in context, talking about religious uh, walks of life, the same thing could be uh, the thing for us. Where we go back to that thing that so easily enslaves us, right? That's in Hebrews. We always go back to that sin that easily enslaves us, the, sl- the sin of doubt. Because the reality is you're in that sin, in that place, because you doubt that God has enough for you. That your sexual satisfaction will be found here and now and not in marriage. That, won't, that God doesn't have enough for you in that space. You have to get it now. And so instead of being anxious or uh, uh, overwhelmed by the weight of what you think someone should look like or be like or watch all these things. Say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you for what you have for me. I have hope in future grace that you'll give me in Jesus, and he will give that to you because he is good and he's a, a loving father. Amen. Um, all right. Uh, I want to pitch you guys one final question. And so um, while we're asking this question, if you're in the band, you can uh, make your way back up here. Um, and uh, we'll take some time to answer this question. We'll pray and then uh, close the night out in worship. Um, this person asked a question that's simple but so good. They just said, what is heaven like? Uh, I think a lot of times, like, whether like cartoons or just our own imagination or pop culture can have us thinking, like, oh, am I going to become an angel when I die? Will I sprout wings and have a golden harp and, like, bounce from cloud to cloud? And will heaven be boring eternally um, while we're just, like, sitting with, like, waiting room music? Uh, which I, I think the, it's safe to say no to all that stuff. But what is heaven like? Uh, what should we expect when we think about heaven, about afterlife for the believer? What would you guys say? Um, to start off, no one knows exactly what heaven's like. There's no chapter in the Bible that gives us an in-depth uh, description of exactly what's going on in heaven. But um, there's a few clues throughout scripture. Um, it talks about golden gates. It talks about mansions, um, jewels in your crowns, right? I'm, ex- I'm stoked for mansion. That sounds pretty sweet. Um, but I think... Uh, and I like how you worded this this morning, how like the biggest thing to focus on when, when you're curious on uh, what heaven's like is the fact that that's where the Lord dwells. And it's the lack of darkness. It's the lack of sin. Um, everything bad in this world obviously came from the fall of man. And that was when sin entered this world. So when there's suffering, there's sickness, uh, there's sadness, it's all uh, due to sin. And so heaven is... For a short answer and a simple answer, it's literally just the absence of sin. and It's the absence of bad. It's just good um, because that's where the Lord is seated on his throne. Um, and it talks about how we're in a constant state of worship, singing uh, praises to the Lord. And so it's just bliss. Um, so although, like, I can't give you a, a, archi- a blueprint of, of, like, the layout of heaven, um, just know it, it's just straight goodness. And that's where we get to meet the Lord face to face, yeah, when that day comes. So. Two scriptures to give you to just cling to. Um, and, yeah, basically what I said this morning was that the reason heaven is a place to be desired and the reason why we would reach out into the lost and the brokenhearted and say, hey, we really want you to go to heaven is not just for heaven itself because, I mean, I'm sure the place is great, like the physical attributes of it are wonderful, but the only reason that heaven is heaven and that heaven is all of these beautiful things is because Jesus is there, that without him, heaven's just a spot. 
That's all it is. It's just, a, it's just a place. But because he is there, it becomes the only place that we want to be. It's where our heart and where our spirit longs to be. The reason why hell sucks is because he's not there. Hell's not sucky because it's, it's hot, okay? Because you could go to, I don't know, the Dominican Republic, as a matter of fact, <laughs> where it's very hot. Shout out DR24. But um, it's very hot there. But God is there. So the heat isn't that bad because he's there with us. Whereas hell is where we don't want to go, and that's why it says that the Lord wishes that none would perish because he knows that hell is where he is not, and where he is not can be nothing good. So here's two scriptures just to hang on to. In, in Revelation, excuse me, Revelation 4, verse 2, John the disciple says, Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. That is Jesus. It says, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an, em an emerald. In chapter 5, it says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So that is what heaven is like. And I don't know if you hate worship music and you're like, oh, let's just get past this next set of worship or whatever. This is not worship that we look over. This is not worship that we pass by in heaven. It is the cry of our very being that resonates toward the one who sits on the throne. Real quick, Revelation 21. Uh, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And rem reminder of that promise of um, the fact that in God's presence, all the things we experience in this life, if you think back to the hardship in your life, uh, whether it be with family or with friends or in your own experience, like none of that will be in God's presence. It'll all be worship and time uh, restored with God in heaven, and that's the best part. So just encourage you guys. Amen. Amen. Um, Aaron, would you close us in prayer? Definitely. As we close, um, there is a chapter that has clarity on what heaven looks like. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, um, that whole chapter has this image of what that looks like. But ultimately, the, the center of peace of all these things, after we talk about the city of heaven, how it's built and how it looks, the beauty of it, the center of it is that Christ is the center of the city. He's the light of the city. He's the sound of the city. And everything revolves around Jesus and hell is not the absence of God. Hell is where there's the fullness of God's wrath. So it's not like God is not in hell. He's there fully. He involves all spaces. But that's his full wrath. What God wants us to do is to experience his full joy, his full peace, the fullness of who he is in giving of his son. He wants to experience Jesus. See, the greatest gift that God could ever give us was himself. He did in Jesus. And that's what we give you as a gift today in conversation in, in, our, in our worship, in our time together, we give you the gift of knowing Christ, of knowing the one who knows you, who loves you, who made you. And as we pray, I want you guys to ponder in your heart, do I know this Jesus? Do I love this Jesus? Do I believe this Jesus? And it's okay if you don't. That's why we have leaders in this room to have conversation. Literally every week we come together to, one, to convince you, to replenish, to re refresh you. And to give you an opportunity to make a decision to live for Jesus. That's the gospel. 
that God loves you. He died on the cross for you. Why? Because we've sinned and we need to make a decision to live for him. We hope you make that decision. Have that conversation with leaders in the room. They have tags. They're here in this space. They love you. They want to pray. We want to talk to you. You can put that on the prayer wall. If you have a, conversation, you have a question you want us to, to ask and to talk through or to connect with you. But we want you to not pass this moment by and make a pathway towards Jesus who loves you and wants to be known by you. Lord, we just thank you for this evening and thank you for the opportunity we've gotten to uh, be able to answer some of the questions that our students sent in. Ultimately, the biggest question that many of us are, are, are trying to figure out is, do you want us? Do you love us? Can we be forgiven by you? And the answer from your son, from your scripture, from your heart is a resounding yes. That you do love us. You do want us. You do have a place for us in your father's heart. And so what we do this evening, Lord, we submit all this time to you. We give these young men and women in this room or even online who watch this uh, video later on, Lord. We give them an opportunity to trust you as Lord and Savior. Lord, stir in their hearts a desire to know you, to trust you, and give them the strength to follow through, to say yes. Your word tells us that you sustain, you complete all things you begin. And Lord, have you begun this work in their hearts? Bring it to completion, our God, in knowing you as Lord and Savior. And our God's people said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Calvary HSM podcast. We would love if you could connect with us on social media using the handle at Calvary HSM 805 on Instagram or going to our website, calvarywestlake.org slash HSM. We always have fun things going on and we want you to be a part.